So we're going to continue our uh, continue and kind of begin our Lenten series on living out of baptism, with the first topic tonight being on fighting temptation. We heard on Ash Wednesday kind of how we play offense in the spiritual life during Lent and by living out our baptism, by prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, by conquering our intellect through prayer, my heart, my will through almsgiving, and my appetites through fasting. But what Jesus shows us is that immediately upon being baptized, the baptized are tried. They are tempted. And so I kind of want to just talk about today the who, the what, and the where of temptation and how to overcome it. First off, the who. I think it's very important that we consider the way that we suffer temptation is usually more like Eve in the first reading than it is like Jesus in the gospel. And what I mean by that is that Jesus is approached by the devil himself. And he is approached by the Holy Spirit when the Spirit drives him into the desert. We have a much more veiled experience of Satan and God. Like Eve, we receive word from God, usually not directly from him. Eve received her command to not eat the fruit of the tree from Adam, not from God. And Eve is tempted not by the devil himself, but by the serpent. And so these things happen very subtly. And so as we go through these these three temptations, just consider that, yes, while maybe the devil isn't directly approaching me and like going through this genre of temptations, this like temptation menu, that perhaps we are the mouthpiece of the devil at times, as well as we can be the mouthpiece for the spirit, or that someone close to us is being the mouthpiece for the devil, offering these kind of temptations. So now, let's talk about the what and the where. And the where is very important and tied to with the what. Because of the three temptations, and this struck me this week, this detail had not yet popped out to me, is every temptation happens in a different location. And location matters. Because as we are sitting in this church, And whenever we hear about temptation, we are in a certain location. We are in the house of God right now. We are at 501 East St. Mary. But then when we return to our homes, a different set of temptations hits us. Why? Because of the where. Because of the location. And so as we go through these three kinds of temptation, we're going to talk about the where. The first is the temptation to gluttony, which includes that temptation to lust. Basically, the temptation to disorderly bodily satisfaction. So the where. Jesus is in the desert. Now, there are no deserts here in Lafayette, Louisiana. But there are places that are similar to the desert. In that there are places we encounter that are lonely. There are places where we reach out and cannot find any sort of comfort. 
there are places where it seems like there's no hope. If you look out on the horizon of the desert, it's like, where's the break? That is the desert, and that is a place that we encounter often, where there's no hope, no comfort, and feeling alone. Now, in the desert is where the devil wants to tempt us to gluttony and lust, these disorderly bodily satisfactions. And so whenever the devil approaches Jesus, he doesn't just say, hey, why don't you go ahead and sin because you're feeling lonely. In fact, what's interesting is what the devil suggests to Jesus isn't a sin at all. God, who created the world out of nothing, can certainly do as he pleases and turn a stone into bread if he would like. He could do that. He's God. No one is preventing him from doing that. It is no offense to creation. But this is exactly how gluttony and lust begins, is that the thing is harmless. There's nothing wrong with, you know, eating king cake on a Sunday uh, in Lent. Like, there really isn't anything wrong with it, you know. There is wrong with the second pieces of the meshes donut king cake. I don't know if you can eat two pieces and not commit gluttony with meshes king cake, but, you know, that's just my own personal opinion. But point is, with bodily pleasures like this, it begins harmless. But what Jesus shows is that whenever the devil suggests something, that is, whenever we're suggested something just simply outside of God's will, just to satiate ourselves, don't play around with it. And the way that the devil suggests it oftentimes, too, is the way in which he suggests to Christ, is that he kind of like pricks our pride a little bit. If you are the Son of God, Turn this stone into bread. So it's a Saturday night. You know that you've had a good day. But maybe it's been a hard week as well. And you go over to your friend's house. And he offers that third drink. What, you you can't have a third drink? What's the problem with that? Certainly you can have a third drink. It kind of tests our pride a little bit. Yeah, I I have the tolerance. Yeah, I can handle myself and everything. Yeah, I don't want to feel like I'm called out as like a do-gooder. And so in touching our pride a little bit and pricking us, this is often how the devil gets us. And saying, yeah, I think I can do that. And again, it often doesn't happen directly from him. It happens from each other because we can often be his mouthpiece. And so, again, what Jesus does is that he does not converse with him and he aims higher he says that he lives from every word that comes forth from the mouth of god he desires spiritual things if we are tempted to the sins of pleasure of gluttony and lust then we need to reorder our appetite and find nourishment in the presence of the lord now that second group of temptations And these are grouped very smartly by the devil because this is how he gets the first Adam and Eve. Is he gets them by, he just tried to get Jesus 
by the concupiscence we call of the flesh, the lust of the flesh. And now he's going to try to get um, the new Adam, Christ, by the pride of life. And so this particular sin, what the devil does is that he veils his own appearance, Saint Th- his own appearance, St. Thomas Aquinas says, and he takes him to not a lonely place, but actually a crowded place, the parapet of the temple. You probably all wondered your whole life, what is a parapet? I don't, I'm not really sure what a parapet is, but from what I've read, it's on the temple, there was these three kind of tiered roofs, and in that place was where the scribes and the Pharisees taught. Well, what is Jesus called throughout the Gospel of Matthew that we read? How does he reveal himself primarily? As teacher. So we're starting to kind of get a feel for this. Jesus, who has just been alone in the desert for 40 days. Jesus, who is going to reveal himself to the whole world as the Son of God. Jesus, who, though he is the Son of God, must feel like a real winner right now because he's been spending the last 30 of his uh, years on earth living with his parents, and now he gets to see those teaching next to him with disciples. And up to this point, Jesus has none. And so the desire for vain glory to glorify himself outside of God's will could be welling up, or that's the desire that Satan wants to well up in him. Because there's that desire whenever we are in a certain place, in a social situation with peoples whose, whose gifts threaten my gifts, whose, whether their appearances, their beauty, their talents, their... Um, their wit, whatever it might be, threatens me. This is when the desire for vain glory wells up. And this is what the devil tries to stir up in Christ. And what the devil does is very smart. What he does is that while all the noise and the chaos is happening, he takes the words of Scripture and he quotes it back to Jesus. He says, cast yourself down from the parapet. Basically, they're up here, you're up here. Separate yourself from them. You're different. For the angels will not let um, a stone strike your foot. That basically the angels will catch you. And so think about this. This happens to us often. Whether or whenever we're in a social situation, maybe our pride is wounded because someone maybe calls us out or does something that um, makes us feel threatened, is that we kind of look for a truth to hold on to, to say, you know what, yeah, it's time for me to lash back, or it's time for me to separate myself from them. And see, I have scripture, or I have the truth to hold on to and show that it's within my rights to do this. And what Jesus does in response to the devil is smarter. Is he looks up. He doesn't look to himself. This is exactly what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to get us and he's trying to get Christ to look inwardly and say, See, aren't you special? Aren't you the one who needs to be defended? 
But in getting him to look inwardly, then we can easily forget to look up, to look up to God to be able to interpret the scriptures. To which Jesus responds, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. Now, the other thing with looking up that Jesus does and what we need to do whenever we feel again threatened in a social situation or desiring to separate ourselves is not to be like um, the devil suggests and go down. It's fitting that the devil is asking Jesus to go down. Because whenever we commit the sin of vainglory, whenever we want to separate ourselves from others and show that we're so darn special and different and unique and need to be admired, it's that we put ourselves down underneath their opinions to be judged by them in every way. And so in that way, we fittingly end up in a lower spot. But again, the remedy is that Jesus looks up. And then the third temptation. The place, St. John Chrysostom says, is that while Jesus goes up to a a very high mountain, he goes up to the highest of mountains. And the temptation is, why don't you bow down before me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. And what Chrysostom says, what Aquinas says, is that from this very high mountain, from the highest mountain in the world, that Jesus sees every kingdom on the earth, but not every part of every kingdom. And that is a very significant detail. Because now we're talking about the concupiscence of the eyes, this desire to possess. Now, this happens often with that desire for greed, is that Whenever someone has something, or we imagine something, or they, when they have something that's like new, our imagination takes us further than our eyes do. So in Jesus seeing just some part of every kingdom, what the devil is trying to elicit in him is that his imagination takes him further than his eyes. So like consider, let's say, you know, the iPhone 27 just came out, all right? And you're like, man, this one is super new. And you like you see it on the TV screen or you see it like in your friend's hand. You're like, man, it doesn't even have scratches on it. You know? There's not even a crack. This guy doesn't even have a case for it yet. Look how nice it is. And then you kind of imagine, well, like, I wonder like what it really does. You know, like I know the camera, you know, will, I don't know, be able to take a picture of me while I'm running and make it look nice. I know that the camera maybe will make me even look nicer than I already look, you know, but imagine what else it can do. And it's where the what else comes in that our imagination runs rampant. And we very easily desire things not really knowing where they take us because they lie in mystery. That what else is where, again, we can lower ourselves as the devil intends to. So, in the what else, there's a certain nothingness that's available. And now the devil is kind of showing his cards and he's being desperate with Christ because he's saying, if I will give you these kingdoms, well, guess what? 
the kingdoms don't belong to Satan in the first place. And so whenever we're trying to possess these things out of greed, we, like in the former temptation, lower ourselves underneath them. We say, we will not be happy. We make an inner vow. I will not be happy until I possess this thing. And that is where we bow down to the devil. And so Jesus' response, what does he do? The first thing he says is, go away, Satan. So he casts out any assault on his imagination. And then he says, that the Lord, God, the Lord God alone shall you worship, and him alone shall you serve. Because whenever we worship God, there's an opposite movement that happens. We go up. That in looking upward to the Lord, we ourselves are lifted because our faces are made radiant as we set our eyes upon him. And so in that way, we become possessors of all the kingdoms of the world. Because we're able to use the th goods of this earth to do the Lord's will as he would please. And we begin to reign with him. And so, in conclusion, all of these temptations happen in particular places. And we cannot fight them and we cannot be strengthened and tested as the Lord intends us to be as baptized sons and daughters until we are in those places. So that those places can be places of grace. But the way in which Jesus is able to overcome is that he is not swept up in his surroundings, whether it be in the loneliness of the desert, the bustle of the parapet of the temple, or in the imagination of the highest mountain, but withdraws interiorly to simply be with the Father so that he can in clarity reject the lower things that the devil wants and choose to be with his father.